That's part of my process of healing is trying to find out where I am, who I truly am versus what were my trauma responses. And I want to heal those. You're listening to Make Some Noise podcast, episode number 424 with guest Elizabeth Koopferman. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I am so glad that you are here. I am double excited because today, this episode marks the kickoff of the new way that I am presenting you with the show. What I have decided to do is to divide the months up into themes. So with each theme, we are going to kind of centralize and have our conversation around a particular question. This theme that we're kicking off 2022 with is the question of how do we heal ourselves? In all of the episodes coming up over the next couple of months, you'll hear me ask that question at the very end. How do we heal ourselves? I'm going to be talking to therapists. I'm talking to uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, different people who have a little bit of different perspectives, definitely different expertise. And I'm always going to ask that question at the very end. So you're going to hear various answers to the question, how do we heal ourselves? Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking to experts who are sharing their wisdom about uh, family roles uh, and IFS, which is internal family systems. It's a modality of therapy. We have experts talking about trauma responses, epigenetics, attachment styles, healing ancestral wounds. I am so excited about this. You guys know how much I love talking about kind of the deeper stuff and the things that that we can talk about in counseling or therapy or even in the company of, of trusted friends. So I'm kicking it off with a woman that I met on TikTok. Yes, I know. It, it's not just an app for kids. Y'all, I've been telling you about it for a little while. I'm having so much fun over there. I'm at Hey Andrea Owen. If you do decide to download the app, please follow me. It's fun. And Elizabeth Kupferman has a account, an account called Advanced Bitches, which is so funny to me. <laughs> and it's all about what you love, the, uh, the advanced learning, if you will, around personal development. And before I tell you more about her and we jump in, I want to tell you that it's a go for a retreat in 2021. If this pandemic at least somewhat behaves, we are going to go ahead and book a house in Asheville, North Carolina. I have narrowed it down and I got some interest from many of you about uh, possibly coming to this retreat. So if you are interested in it, I would love for you to head on over to andreaowen.com slash retreat so you can read about 
the logistics, the price range that we're going to offer it, just all of the things you, uh, like the big things that you need to know to be able to make your decision if you want to come with us. I have not settled on a date as I'm recording this, but very soon we're going to open up registration. And if you sign up on that page at andreaowen.com slash retreat, you are going to be the first to know two things. First, I'm going to send out an email just to that list saying, hey, I'm going to open registration on this date at this time, and I'm going to do my best to make it a time that is that is easy for all time zones. And then after that, we're going to open up registration and send out an email saying, hey, the doors are open. You can sign up if you would like. And the reason that I'm doing that is because a few years ago, the last time I, I held these retreats, uh, a couple of them sold out within an hour. So I wanted to make sure that people who were truly interested in and really wanting to come, that you had a uh, first chance at doing this. It's going to be a daring way retreat. This is the modality, uh, the methodology, if you will, based on Brene Brown's research that I'm trained and certified in doing since 2014. And it's an incredible set of modules and tools and skills and strategies that you will walk away with. I'm so excited. AndreaOwen.com slash retreat. All right, let's get into today's episode. Let me tell you a little bit about our friend who has graced us with her wisdom today. Elizabeth Kupferman is a licensed professional counselor and has a private practice and is the author of The Irreverent Grief Guide and The Irreverent Trust Guide, How to Trust Again After Trauma, fucked you up. She teaches all about complex PTSD, grief and loss, introversion and high sensitivity, codependency and all things advanced personal growth work in her counseling office, online classes, and she's on Instagram, TikTok and YouTube at advanced bitches. So without further ado, here is Elizabeth. <laughs> Elizabeth, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited. It's so fun to meet people that we follow in real life, uh, that we follow on social media. And you are one of those people. And I, I probably, at least half of the people that I'm interviewing for this series on on healing have come from TikTok. So That's amazing. <laughs> isn't it? Yes. Mental health is huge over there. Yes. Yes. There's just so many freaking cool people over there creative, funny, deep, introspective, wise, smart. Yes. It's, it's really great. It's really great. So I encourage everyone who, who isn't over there yet to download the app, but I have some juicy questions for you and I have, I have so many and we might kind of bounce around. So buckle up everybody. So can you, I'm super curious because I don't think that I saw this and, and, you know, following you now for a while on TikTok. If you wouldn't mind um, sharing whatever you feel comfortable with, what brought you to this work in particular that like drew you into um, sharing and also specifically helping people with their own trauma and their own complex PTSD? A few answers to that. Um, one of them is I was born like this. Like I was just born, I'm an INFJ and I came out of the womb when somebody says they're fine and I can read their subtext. Oh, you're absolutely not fine. <laughs> And it's just a part of who I am as a person. If you look up INFJ in, you know, like do the I'm an ENFJ. Thing. So are yeah, we yeah, similar yeah. just so in, do you, introvert? Do you extrovert? know like what's the main occupation for yours? 
I don't know what that means. I don't know that much. Okay, about okay. So like I I had this chart once and it had like an occupation for like the main, like n- not necessarily oh, like, like what the- you should do for a living. You mean? Yeah. 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 Yes. yeah. So like mine just INFJ just says counselor. Like That's a mindset. Just- it must've been the same thing that we did. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I thought you meant occupation for each of the letters. Okay. Yeah, I gotcha. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So there's that. And then, um, I'm a hundred percent fucked up. And so I've been in therapy, you know, I have like substance abuse and um, addiction in my family. And then when my daughter was born, I, you know, my whole thing was like, I am not going to be an alcoholic. I'm not going to be an alcoholic like them. Like I'm not, I'm not, it's never happening. And, and I wasn't great, but you are that with food. a hundred percent of food addict. And, um, and so when my daughter was born, I just remember, I mean, it was a very, you know, it's one of those moments in life where you like, you'll never forget, like it, it was mm-hmm. huge for me. And I just looked at her and I'm like, oh my God, I have to break the cycle. Oh no. Oh no. I have to break the cycle. Oh, so wow. that was the moment when I said, I will do whatever it takes to get better. I will do whatever it takes. I don't care how long it takes or how hard it hurts. I am not, I'm, I'm going to break the cycle. So that was and how old is your daughter now? She's 32, 32. Oh, wow. Okay. I thought you were going to say she's like a teenager. No, she's 32. So, okay. um, so I, so I've been in therapy for 32 years. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just get started. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's how I know how long I'm like, ah, oh, how old is she? Oh, okay. Um, and so I, I, um, you know, just started different. The first, it was like, I need to figure out how to stop binging and purging like I all day long. Like I got to stop doing that. That's not healthy. So that was my focus. I went to a bunch of eating disorder therapists and, um, and then, uh, I went into, you know, I, 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 been, I was in it for a while, but I couldn't stop relapsing and I was really stuck and I was still lost and I still was a mess. And then I finally met the woman who saved my life um, and who just retired, it's breaking my heart because I saw her for over 20 years. Um, she's like, okay, it's you basically buckle up. It's time to do trauma work. Uh-huh. And so that's what I've been doing. And that's the thing that helped me heal my eating disorder more than anything else was healing that because that really gets to the root of the root of the root of the issue. Right. And so, um, and so as I was learning, you know, I just, you know, as I started healing, I think I want to become a counselor. Like I want to do that. Cause I was doing as, as a sponsor, like people identify as addicts. <laughs> totally. And I was a sponsor. I'm basically a therapist since I right. was in OA. Uh, uh, so anyway, um, overeaters anonymous for those. Yeah. Who yeah. Yeah. Don't thank, know what you. That is. thank you. Yes. Um, and so I finally decided to go to grad school when my kids were in middle school. Okay. Okay. That's so interesting. We have very parallel lives. Um, very similar. I've been in therapy since I was 18, but mine was more unwilling. It was more like, cor- um, you know, like court appointed. You had to go. <laughs> my, yeah. my parents got divorced and they're like, yeah. you should go to therapy, even though we still won't talk about anything. Um, okay. Now I have so, I have so many questions just based on that, but I want to, I want to stick to the script because I, I'm really interested in a few things because you 
talk about different roles. This is one of my favorite sort of um, topics that you that you make TikToks on, like different roles yeah. that are put into a family in a family. Absolutely, about the hero, the golden child, the scapegoat, and I see myself in some of them. I actually kind of overlap with a couple of them. So, can you talk more about that and maybe like give an example of your own family or just a and you know an arbitrary- absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so in a toxic family system, and it, this was. Um, invented uh the theory came from like addiction families who have addiction but mm-hmm. i see it as all dysfunctional families have you know they're on a continuum yeah. and so yeah. but i think that the it the 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 roles still apply so there's the hero slash golden child that's most usually the firstborn not always but it's the one who the overachiever does all the things, shiny, shiny. And that one is, you know, f- the family needs to be saved, of course. So we need a hero. And the, the, the hero is usually, um, you know, helping the parents, helping the emotional life of the parents. The responsible the parents, one. Mm-hmm. Enable the responsible one. And the family needs somebody to brag about. The family needs somebody to point to to say, see, we're fine. Yeah. And then you have the scapegoat. Um, and that's the one that the patient, the, the family can call the, the identified patient. It's kind of sounded like that's what you were at 18. Like you uh-huh. need to go the problem. something wrong with you, but we're fine. Um, so the identified patient, the scapegoat, the problem, the one who's always in trouble, the one get that's blamed. You know, I did a TikTok recently about like the hero and the goal, the scapegoat can do the same thing, but the scapegoat's going to get in trouble for it. Mm-hmm. And the scapegoat is needed in the family because the scapegoat needs, the family needs somebody to say, that's the problem, not us. Mm-hmm. That person, that's the issue, not us. And the scapegoat breaks my heart um, because they don't know. Like we're all the roles, like we're all, you know, it's very hard when you're half, when you, when you identify, when your, your identity is swallowed up by these roles. It's a, yeah. it's a heartbreaking thing, but the scapegoat, especially because I just, the scapegoat doesn't know that they're great. The scapegoat goat doesn't know that they're the same thing as the hero. That mm-hmm. they're the opposite side of the hero, but the hero's going to get all the glory, and and then they take on the identity of being bad, and that's just heartbreaking. And I think it's I I don't know if it's true or not, but my hunch is it's very it's ha- much harder for the scapegoat to heal. I'm wondering if anyone can people change roles like as yes. they get older, okay, and 100%. then kind of bounce back between like depending on what drama is going on in the family. Yes. Okay. The psyche is complex. Mm-hmm. So I think we all have a, all of these roles. I know I live out all of these, have lived out all of these roles. I think that the roles can shift. So one of the things I talk about is when the hero decides to heal and stop saving the family and stop and start doing boundaries, they can then turn into the scapegoat. That's happened. They have betrayed the family. I just got goosebumps when you said that because that's what happened to me. I was the golden child who then grew up and started to heal and then saw all the dysfunction and started pointing it out. And then now I'm the scapegoat. Yes, I'm absolutely. That absolutely. Because when you start, stop filling the role and, and you might see other kids or other whatever family, they'll start rising as the hero. They'll take over your role because especially like a scapegoat might can slip into it. Usually it'll be the other kid because the scapegoat needs to stay the scapegoat because they still need somebody to say that person's bad. 
but they can rise up and kind of over you know, s- slip into more of the hero role because it's a, you get a lot of accolades. Mm-hmm. Like, you, I mean, it's, it, you, you pay for it with a pound of flesh every single day, but you get, you get rewarded. It's really hard to, to sacrifice that. It, it truly is. Um, one time my mom, my mom is a teacher and um, she says something like, oh, I have one of you in my class. And I'm like, I feel so sorry for her. <laughs> I, it breaks my heart. Poor thing. Is she okay? In the student? <laughs> yeah. It's like the A student, the girl in the front of the class, like wanting to learn it all, the good one, the teacher's pat. Yes. And and that you play the role in different. So if I'm the hero, then I'm also going to be the teacher's pet. I will show mm-hmm. up and I'm, I'm the best worker. You know, that you play the role, you can't escape from it. It's just you, it, you, t- you, it follows you wherever you go. Yeah. Um, and so for me, a student, magna cum laude, you know, all mm-hmm. the things like, you know, um, just, and also, you know, always needed to hate getting in trouble. Like it, it I have a panic attack if I get in trouble. Like it's so, like, cause it's just because, but remember, all of this is to survive. Yeah. The reason I would get a panic attack if I get in trouble, because now that's messing with my survival. I'm a hero to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So the third one is the lost child. And so the lost child is, okay, so you have the hero, shiny, 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 and the scapegoat, shiny, shiny too, but in the opposite direction, the lost child, we just don't have the energy for you. Mm-hmm. We don't kind of like, like fly we, under the radar. Yes. Like, and also it's too much. Like it's over the, they're more like they, they, they're usually more of a, maybe a sensitive soul, highly sensitive. And I mean that in the best way, when I use the word, somebody's highly sensitive, I mean, it's another word for saying they're highly intelligent. Uh-huh. Um, and so it, it's just, so they will, um, they, they're invisible in the family their voice is not heard. They're not seen. They're not appreciated. They will also escape. They usually can be, um, they usually, they might have the flight trauma response. So they might always be at a friend's house or just always in their room or always in a book. Or move or, out right when they get the first opportunity. Totally, yeah. totally. Mm-hmm. And so like the hero might wish they could go read a book, but the hero has to entertain, you know, they has to take care of and be present and accounted for and, you know, parents, best friend and all that. The loner can, you know, the loner that they're allowed to do that because it's like, Ooh, I don't have to, Yeah. the, the lost child doesn't get what they wants or needs met. Mm-hmm. They're okay. just in, invisible. So then you have, and so I'm a lost child in the way. So when I was in school, yes, I was getting A's and I, the only friend was the teacher. The teacher is the only one who liked me. I was super shy. And so I'm lost in the sea of kids. Like mm-hmm. I'm lost. I'm, I don't know how to, and I'm plus I'm always been a grown up. Like I was born a grown up, you know, <laughs> like we don't addicts, as you know, like you are the same way. Like, well, who are these kids and what do they want from me? Like, I don't, I don't, I only know how to deal with adults. <laughs> so, cause we were busy saving them yeah. Um, yeah. and we knew how they worked. We don't know how these kids work. I'm a lost child in, in a lot of ways to like shut down, um, hide, so that's how, even though Matt Hero is my main one, that's that's a part of me too. I'm invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it, it helpful to identify, you know, whether you identify with more than one, depending on the time of your life in therapy so that you and your therapist can kind of talk to that 
role and the person? Like, how does that actually work? I love labels, except when I don't. <laughs> like, I <laughs> I love labels when they are helpful to me. Yeah, labels help me feel seen. Mm-hmm. It's like hero, <gasps> Ma- scapegoat, <gasps> La Chelle, <gasps> mascot, which I'll talk about in a minute. Like, oh my gosh, like. That's my family. Like I can look at those four roles and my, my mom has three siblings and, um, they might as well, their pictures might as well appear. Like it's, it's uncanny how normalizes it in a totally. And it's just like, Oh, that's what this is for me. It's always this. Oh, that's what that is. Oh, I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. And also to see it, it's like, Oh, this is a thing. This isn't just me. I'm weird. I'm, you know, this isn't just our family. Yeah. Yes. It's like, oh, this is, this is in the textbook. Mm -hmm. Like this is real. And so for me, if it's helpful, also it could language is is helpful. And so, um, as a metaphor, like I might, I might use it as a metaphor. So like, Da 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 da. I did this again, or I fell into a hero trap again, or something like that in therapy. And yeah. then my th- my therapist and I, we have a shorthand. It becomes yeah. part of our lexicon together. And so that those roles might slip in like like that, or it could be a teaching moment. The therapist, um, <laughs> a teaching moment either way. By the way, a therapist could say like, "Oh, did you know that's lost child?" And then you're, "Oh, like that's a thing." But sometimes some therapists don't know this stuff. Like mm-hmm. they don't actually know these things. And that's what makes people like me and you beneficial is because we've been there, done that. We we know like yeah. we're it's, it's who we are. Um, the mascots are there to cut the tension. The mascots are there to entertain, perform, be fuck, fucking funny, um, to uh, bring levity to um that's the thing about a lot like my family's so funny in in the midst of all the 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 dysfunction it's like it was still a good time i mean not really but you know what i mean like it wasn't all just dark there's some family some kids that come from um the family there's just so much darkness but with alcoholic families or at uh families of addiction a lot of times not always but there's a mascot there some of the disasters, you know, families will laugh at them because of the mascot. And and I think before, like, I think for anyone who identifies as like probably elder millennial, definitely Gen X and probably baby boomers, that's how we survived. Like we made fun of problems and people who had feelings. (laughs) And I think that's, that's kind of the, the toxic side of it, but we learned to have humor through, through things that really needed that were like a bleeding wound. Agree. Agree. That's why I think a lot of at families of addicts, like we have gallows humor, like mm-hmm. where it's the dark of the, like, these are my people, like the darkest humor. Like sometimes I can't post a TikTok. It's just for my friends. Cause it's just too dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I am the same. I, I hesitate sometimes too. Okay. So let's move and talk about uh, the four trauma responses. You got it. Um, so the first, the, uh, they're, Hold on. My, my brain just went blank. I just, I asked you to move really fast. <laughs> no, you're good. No, no, no. This is me. Fight or, fight or flight. So we know those. We've taught those in school, fight or flight. And so you either fight the bear to live or you flee from the bear, run from the bear. Mm-hmm. That's flight mode. And then, um, and then in the late eighties, I think, uh, 
psychologists came out with, hey, by the way, there's also freeze. Mm -hmm. So freeze mode came into, you know, the psychological vernacular. Um, and freeze mode is you freeze so the bear doesn't kill you. And right. so like deer do that, bunnies do that. Like they freeze when they're scared. And so the question is, well, what do you do if your mom is the bear? So you can't run from your mother forever, like when you're a child and you can't fight your mother, although scapegoats do and fight some fight mode kids do as well. Um, but they're fighting so they'll they'll take care of them. They found that fighting is the only mm. way that the parent fighting with the parent is the only way. Like a they'll scapegoat would only Exactly. So yeah. that's how they live is to fight. That's how I used um, to be with my ex-husband. I feel like the only yeah. time he was paying attention to me was when I was acting yes. crazy. So then he would call me crazy and then he would have yes. to take care of me. Yes, exactly. Toxic. So so freezing is checking out mentally. Mm-hmm. Checking out mentally, and it, it's also you were so exhausted from trying to survive this that we get so tired. It's just physically and mentally draining to where we can't get off the couch or can't get yeah. off uh, out of bed or whatever. Just just tired. So th- that's freeze mode, and then. Um, Oh my gosh. If you haven't read Pete Walker's book, complex PTSD from um, surviving to thriving, it is incredible. There are lots of great, 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 great books on trauma. I love his book because he's one of us. Mm -hmm. So he teaches it from, I have this perspective and I've lived this perspective. And so the, the, um, the words are so uh, it's just resonant. So he came up with the fawn trauma response, which all this time people have been calling codependency. So the fawn trauma response is just basically codependency. And the fawn trauma response is you fawn the bear, compliment the bear on its fur, um, you know, tell the bear is so nice. um, So the bear won't kill you and keep you around. Sounds like people pleasing too. Which is it's that it is people pleasing mm-hmm. in order. Um, I call it extreme people pleasing in order to survive. Okay. And so again, we do these things, and that's what's so hard about. I don't know if you found this too. So all this whatever Instagram, don't people please? That's blah, 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 blah. it's like I wish I could stop. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a trauma response. This is life and death for me. Yeah. And when we stop, it it's very uncomfortable. Like we don't know what to do when we're not allowed to do our trauma response because it, it has served its beautiful purpose, which mm-hmm. is to help us survive. And so what we do and what I teach my clients is slowly but surely we replace the trauma responses with tools. Mm-hmm. So then we have something to else to rely on besides strictly our trauma response. That is some big work. And I'm glad you said that. Um, so in 20, when did I write that? 2016, I wrote how to stop feeling like shit came out in January, 2018. And I talk about people pleasing in there. 
And one of the things that, and I still stand behind everything I said, because it's like, you have to dig in. Like you, you can't just, like you said, like, you can't just like tell people to stop people pleasing. It's like telling them to cut off an arm and like, and just like go at your life. Yeah. And also stop thinking about polar bears. Right. You're going to think about polar bears. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And one of the things that I've learned since then, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually updating the book and it's going to, it's going to re-release next year. And one of the things that I've learned through some continuing education about trauma and some of my own work is exactly what you said, that it's a trauma response. Like we are trying to get people to love us because there's some need that's not being met. And that's the thing that you need to dig into with someone who is qualified to do it. You can't just quote, I don't want to, I don't want to generalize. It's I, I, in my opinion, it is extremely challenging to just coach yourself through it or read a book and be like, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. I've, I have found as someone who identifies as a, a recovering codependent, that takes some very critical and compassionate self-awareness and you have to oh, be absolutely. vigilant about it. Absolutely. Because yes. anytime there's kind of like a conflict, I have to pause. And this has taken years of work pause and think about, okay, what is my next thought? Like, what does my instinct want me to do? My instinct wants to take care of anybody else who's emotional, ignore my own. Like you have to get to know your, even if they're not your instincts, they're your patterns and your habits so that you can have compassion. Yes. I think codependency, I think of codependent, I mean, again, language I think of it as an addiction. It helps me to think of codependency as an addiction. Mm-hmm. So it helps me to think of fond response as a, an addiction. So you said it's like we want somebody to love us. I actually think it is so we will survive because the psyche is going to figure out how to survive. We have a psychological immune system. We have a physiological immune system. And just like if I decided to hold my breath, um, my body would say, oh, that's so cute. I'm going to let you pass out now. Um, because I'm a brain and I need oxygen, you know, or yeah. So the psyche does the same thing in my opinion that, um, when we're threatened that it will take over and do what it does. Mm -hmm. And so for me, uh, so for me, codependency is the hardest addiction because if I'm an alcoholic, okay, PS, this is asterisk. All addictions are a nightmare. They're just different. However, so alcohol, I can stop drinking it. I don't need to drink alcohol to live. Drugs, I don't need to have them to survive. I don't have, I'm a food addict and um, a bulimic and I have to freaking eat to survive. Like I have to actually eat food. So I have to figure out a way to ingest food and not have it trigger my addiction. Okay, but food is still outside of me. Codependency is in my brain. <laughs> like the the, the <laughs> calls are coming addiction. from inside the house. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, oh my, it's how I think. You know, one of the things I teach people in my, uh, like when they come to me for a session is, and they are have somebody in their life who has a personality disorder. And then they're like, I don't know why that person's not going to therapy about this. And I said, well, because it's in their personality, people don't think there's something wrong with their personality. So why would I go to therapy? for? Why would I go to therapy for my personality? That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I'm amazing. Yeah. <laughs> However, the, so that's what I think of codependency. It's part of our personality. 
Well, and everyone has some aspects of it. I think that that's why totally. in the conversation, like if somebody just picks up Melody Beattie's book, um, like probably the most popular one on codependence, and they read like the first chapter, the introduction and all those all those bullet points, you're going to highlight some of them because these are just human characteristics of like being in relationship with people. <laughs> it's where it like crosses the line. Yeah. Just like in the DSM, if you look up narcissism, we might be able to highlight a couple of them, but we don't have all of them. That's what makes that a narcissist. And so I think of all of this on a continuum. There's some that I have and and, in those, I love those bullet points on those pages. I thought, do you highlight? And then, so what I do is like, I highlight something that I relate to. And then if I really relate to it, I put stars all around it and arrows. Yes. 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 And I might have to like take a step back and like, okay. Oh my gosh. You know, it was one of those like, I feel seen. Oh, this is a thing. This isn't just, I'm crazy. And so that's part of my process of healing is trying to find out where, where I am, who I truly am versus what were my trauma responses. And I want to heal those. I, I like what you just said. I feel like that is the ultimate work that we are going to spend our entire lifetime doing. Do you feel that way? Oh, that's, that's what I'm on. I, I am a big fan of Carl Jung. And so I'm on the individuation path. I'm trying to become whole in this lifetime as much as I can. I was, I was doing some continuing education and, and I can't remember his name. I didn't take the class. I was just watching like the preview of it. And he's actually an addiction, um, who specializes in addiction therapy And his philosophy that he teaches people is that to come to that place where you are already whole, you know that you're already whole and that you are not broken. And I, that's so interesting to me, you know, like looking, looking from the outside in at people's different kind of philosophies of healing and therapy and and things like that. Do you find it, maybe this is just a, a personal question. Do you find it helpful or unhelpful to consider yourself whole or not whole or broken or not broken? How do you feel about like those kind of words? Again, only if they're helpful. The person who said that and me, they were saying the same thing. Great news is regardless of the four roles of a dysfunctional family, hero, scapegoat, et cetera, and regardless of our trauma responses, they didn't kill us. We form those trauma responses. Those are our coping skills. It feels like we died. It feels like we, because part of trauma is like, we don't really know who we are because we had to create a false self in order to survive. And part of how we did that was through our trauma responses. Um, But I'm, I'm everything that I need is within me. Like everything, my true self, my, my self with a capital S is untouched. It's just very far away. (laughs) It's just very far away. Uh And now it's just less far away. Yes. That deserves an applause. I love that. Language, it it just depends on what we find helpful. For me, the language of becoming whole is just, again, being somebody who is fascinated with Jungian psychology, and that's what I teach, and that's what I what has helped me the most for me, the language of becoming whole, I'm, I'm kind of saying the same thing he is, except I'm, I'm using different words, but is to find those places in me that are already whole and live them. Okay. Yes. I agree with that. And 
I've really gone back and forth, like as someone who talks about this a lot and writes about it and writes books. And, and I, I, I like the notion of helping people come to a place where they don't feel broken. However, I think the thing that's been conflicting personally is years ago, especially when I was first out of my super traumatic experience, I felt invalidated when people said, you're not broken. And I was like, mm. <laughs> oh. you don't understand what happened to me. Like the profound humiliation that I, that I dealt with, I felt broken. However, it feels empowering to me to have come from that place and be able to learn to heal myself and love myself and come back from that. So I think that's kind of what you're saying. Like you have to use what works for you. Yes. And I, I mean, I was the brokenest bitch you ever did meet. Like I was mm-hmm. fully broken. And if someone says, oh, but you're, you know, it, to me, some of it is like the toxic positivity. So you're not broke. Okay, yeah. great. And don't manifest broken. Like, okay, <laughs> I just need to express to you a truth of my life that mm-hmm. I feel broken. I, and, and, you know, and if you are going to sit there and argue, like, just think about it. Just just think about the toxicity of that moment. I'm broken. No, you're not. Okay, great. Another gaslighter. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, like, let me express my truth. Sorry. Yeah. And that was, that was stuff. No, no, no. I, I agree with you. I don't think I've ever, I've even talked about that a whole lot on, on the show and just, I think that there was there was a long period of time where I don't feel and my last therapist I had who also retired and I was very sad about who was who I was doing trauma therapy with she commented on how I come to sessions and she's like you're always so she called me a performer she's like you're an entertainer and I'm like yeah it, it, it's just part of my personality and she's like you don't have to be that way here like with me and I was like but if I don't do that you might see me for all of my woundedness. Like I'm getting emotional even just talking about it. If you see me in all of my woundedness, I feel naked and I really want you to like me. I really want you to be my friend. Like I, it's like that inner child of like, no, 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 no. Like that's not your role. Your role is to entertain, to make people smile, to have people tell you how funny you are and how magnetic you are. And that's it. Like anything else, you go do that in your room because that's what I was told. Absolutely. And do you recognize that as mascot? Yeah. So I and and my family system, like to go back to that, is is tricky. And I'm I'm assuming there's other people listening who were either an only child or who had step siblings who like lived with them part of the time. And with my family system, I was the youngest of five, but my siblings, my older siblings were half siblings that came from my parents' previous marriages who were much older than I was. So it's our roles have kind of shifted depending on our age and also depending on like when my dad died in 2016, I saw all of our roles when my, ha- and these are adults, yeah. <laughs> uh, well into adulthood. I'm the youngest by far and I'm 46. So I noticed that when we got together, I found that they were treating me like a little girl mm-hmm. and it was very subtle. Mm-hmm. Like my brother patted me on the head. No, and, that's and- not <laughs> wait, what just happened? And there was a little bit of mansplaining going on, love him to death. But then I realized, and I'm like, oh, this is what we're doing. We're doing this dance. Yes. yes. It was awkward. And I, I think I'm the only one that either I can, I can't speak for them, but I feel like I was the only one that saw it and desperately wanted to point it out, but knew it would not be helpful in the moment. No. And it's invisible. And I wanted to, to get them. away. 
It's yeah. invisible to them, you know, and, 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 and comfortable. It, totally. Totally. I was not comfortable. I'm interrupting this conversation to bring you a few words from one of our sponsors. So if you're anything like me, you value convenience. That's one of the many reasons that I love Green Chef. With fresh produce, premium proteins, and organic ingredients you can trust, Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well. They are so, so, so convenient. And when you use Green Chef, you can avoid long lines and crowds at the grocery store. They have pre-portioned, easy-to-follow recipes that are delivered right to your door. Right to your door. Yay. Green Chef's always-changing variety of easy-to-follow recipes means there's something new to discover each week so you never get bored. And I find them to be the perfect blend of just enough options, but not too many, because with too many, personally, I get a little overwhelmed. I think they're perfectly right in the middle. Whether you're looking for carb-conscious, gluten-free, plant-based, or you just want to have delicious, balanced dishes, Green Chef has flavorful, good-for-you recipes that are sure to satisfy you and any members of your family. Go to greenchef.com slash noise130 and use code noise130 to get, wait for it, to get $130 off plus free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash noise130 and use code noise130 to get $130 off plus free shipping. You mentioned something about the, like the psyche. And I, and I love that you talk about how complex PTSD is the autoimmune disease of the psyche. So can you first just briefly explain what complex PTSD is for people that might not know that term? Okay. So PTSD is when you have a traumatic event and then that's, it's, it's in the DSM, like it's a, you know, an actual disorder, Mm -hmm. um, where you have a traumatic event and that you can point to it. It was the car accident. It was the war. It was the robbery slap in the face. Yeah. What Mm -hmm. like that, that was the thing that is causing me this. And you, it, it, it's crazy making, it's very upsetting and hard, but, but you do have a thing that you can point to. CPTSD or complex PTSD is another way of saying childhood trauma where there's not just one thing. It's just, I think of it as like being a fish in water. It's just the water and that's complex PTSD. It's just, and it's complex to heal because some of this, we don't know how, you know, we don't, there's not again, one particular thing. And the thing about most people think, well, I don't have that because my parents didn't beat me, or I don't have that because my parents were an alcoholics, or I don't have that. And I don't think any of us get through childhood unscathed by some kind of traumatic thing. I mean, it could even be like, mommy, can I have more dinner or whatever? And it's like, oh, you know, mommy's busy because she's actually busy. Mm-hmm. Not try- that that child could get a complex. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, they, yeah. like they're just little psyches and they can't, mm-hmm. you know, they don't know. So um, it, this isn't me. And it's not parent blaming. Like we, we're um, indoctrinated by our culture, our society, our schools, our other people in our lives. So we don't know. A lot of us do know really horrific things that happened in our childhood, but that do- that still doesn't mean that what we don't remember is the invisible messages about like, no one's going to tell you to a lost child. Hey, I just want to let you know, we're not interested in your wants or needs. And could you just shut up and be invisible? That's never said. 
But the message comes across through little things like being pat on the head Mm -hmm. and little, you know, just the micro expressions. Like we know we can feel the toxicity in the room and even that and a child enduring, you know, I think about like people, oh, we're staying together for the kids, but they hate each other. It's just like the kids know, they know we can feel it. Like, Mm -hmm. like you're not, it's not a secret. And so now I have to be raised in a home where I have to endure two people's hatred of each other every day. That's trauma. Yes. I think so many people are probably thinking of things and, and, and for some, maybe it's memories that they don't remember, but something is going on in their body or they get triggered by something that seems innocuous. And they're like, what is that? And it might be something that the memory has been suppressed. So talk to us about the metaphor of the autoimmune autoimmune disease of the psyche. I think, you know, autoimmune diseases, it's like the, it's the body attacking itself. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's the body. Doesn't, yeah. And, and I, I'm not an expert on those. I just, I just, it's like the body's turning on itself in one way or another, or something's, you know, th- there's not like an external bacteria or something like that. Okay. So it's the body doing that. T- and the psyche, childhood trauma, CPTSD is like, I hate myself. It's the mind, it's the psyche turning on its own self. You know, I'm stupid, I'm lame, I'm ridiculous, I I don't deserve good things, I'm bad. You know, the the abuse, that abuse or or dysfunction or whatever we had to endure that made us end up with CPTSD, that's gone. Like it's, I mean, we still have to deal with toxic family members sometimes or a toxic spouse or something. But where those that's formed now, we're doing it to ourselves. Yeah. To survive. (laughs) Again, Mm -hmm. it's not, we're not being bad. And it's, and also like, it's like, well, you should just accept a compliment. You deserve it. Okay, great. Thanks. Okay. That's not helpful because I, there's trauma in there and we have to, so it's in us. That's what I meant by that. I'm assuming too, the thing that I was thinking of when you were saying all those things that somebody with an adult with CPSD might think is it may maybe it also manifests as believing that the world isn't safe, that people are not safe, that you cannot trust anyone or anything. Correct. That's well earned. They figured that out. They learned that. Mm-hmm. I just wrote a book on um trust and CPTSD. That's what I call them CPTSD kids. One of the first developmental stages is trust versus mistrust. And we don't pass that one. Like we don't develop trust because we're just constantly being betrayed or let down or we learn that we can't trust anybody. I mean, I was a rock. I was an island. Like I, the only, you know, I was taught by my grandmother that, you know, the, if you're looking for a helping hand, look at the end of your arm. Mm-hmm. God, wasn't that such a, like a baby boomer, like that rugged individualism. My mom was the same. It's like she, one of the earliest pieces of advice that I remember her telling me is the only person that you will ever be able to rely on is yourself. Yeah. And I, she meant well, she meant well because she got married at 17, had two kids and her husband was a jerk. <laughs> I just say Fawn's that that's a fond response that, that she didn't mean well. Because the message is that in that is also, you can't rely on me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember her telling me that more than once. Yeah. Um, I interpret it as like, that's her own trauma talking about the people who have let her down over and over again. But I think Fawns, we all need to lose the phrase they meant well. No, they didn't. We can acknowledge that that wasn't, you know, I mean, we can say she said it. That's fine. She said it. But I don't, Mm -hmm. that's just passing on something that's not very 
healthy. And again, the message in that is if I'm telling my child that the only person you can rely on is yourself, I'm also telling them that means PS, you can't rely on me. And that's traumatic. That's traumatic. Can't rely on me or your father. Yeah. And that's not meaning well. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) But I just, I, and the reason I'm saying it like that, the reason I'm saying that it like that is we're indoctrinated to say to people who have said hurtful things to us that they meant well. And we're indoctrinated to say, well, we have to give them the benefit of the doubt. It's true. They're also have childhood trauma. Like they, Mm -hmm. they, you know, and that they pass it on. And I'm not saying that. I don't mean that they're bad. I'm just saying like, it's just a truth. And we, we, we can finally, finally, finally stop saying that they meant well, we can just say that those things happen. And I wrote my favorite, one of my favorites, my favorite word. And also one of my favorite tools is, and mm-hmm. my parents hurt me and I could cry rivers about what they went through, but it's still true that they hurt me. Yeah. You know, both can be true. Yeah. And I've, I've also, cause I sort of obsess on like my own parenting and like trying to get everything right and trying to do things differently and like break the cycles. And I finally, several years ago, so my kids are 14 and 12 now I have come to the realization and I'm like, my children are going to talk about me in therapy someday because I can't control how they interpret my parenting. Oh, well, I, my thing is like, I, there's at least 10 good reasons why my kids need to go to therapy to talk about me specifically, like at Mm. least 10, not incidents, reasons like global, like, no, 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 no. I got into recovery. I wanted to break the cycle for my firstborn child. And so what I found, so when I had a baby, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to break the cycle. So that was the beginning of my, my, um, adventures in therapy. And what I found out, which was very sad, very, very sad. You can only break the cycle for yourself because these things, and, and, and so me overcompensating for things that I didn't get was also not that helpful to my kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I realized that too. Yeah. That it might be not the thing that they need. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, me fawning my kids, I mean, it's just ridiculous some of the fawning that I did with them to get them to like me. But also, a quick for instance is one time my daughter, um, uh, so my mom, oh God, please never let her find this podcast. Never apologize. <laughs> ever, 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 ever. And so, one of my things is, you know, as God is my witness, I'm going to apologize to my kids when I mess up because I'm human and it's a blah, blah. blah. So then I apologize to my kids. Mommy should not have said that. You know, mommy, like whatever. Sorry, mommy did that and that was dumb or whatever. And then and then one time my daughter, you know, o- over the ages, I, I said, hey, I just want to. And she goes, what are you going to do? Apologize. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't matter. You're the mother and it's going to be, you know what I mean? It was too much what I was doing. And I appreciate her telling <laughs> Oh man. Do you know what I'm saying? So the thing yes. I was trying to like save my child's life, break the cycle by saying, but maybe I was doing it too much. And is that even a good example for a woman to teach her daughter to apologize all the time? So I'm like, fine, you know, but here's what we do know is that it's better. Yeah. It's <laughs> better. True. It's better. It's better. Yeah. I agree. I could talk to you all day. I could talk to you forever. I'm going to have to have you back on. 
because I still have questions that I didn't ask you. I would love we'll do it. a part two with, with Elizabeth, but I, I do want to ask you the question that I've been asking all the guests on this theme is it's a gigantic whopper of a, of a question. And I just, in your own words, how do we heal ourselves? I love this question. And I actually don't think it's a whopper of a question. I, oh. I love it. I got into therapy because I wanted to stop throwing up in a toilet 50 times a day. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to save my child's life um, and break the cycle for my children. And I just wanted to stop doing that. Like I, I just wanted to stop being so messed up and I stopped wanting to be sad all the time. And I wanted to stop hating myself. Like that's after I got through the addiction and then I thought, you know, had to do all that stuff and it just kept going. And then what I have found is that when you heal your trauma, your life can become so magical. It is, it is magical to walk around in the world and actually love yourself and find yourself. I'm great company with myself. Like it's just, and, and so for me, what has happened is that when you heal this stuff, like life is magical. I'm magical. Like in part of all the things that I teach people to do, you know, just so the answer to the question is how do you heal the psyche is vast. And when a client comes into session with me and they say, um, I'm wasting my session or I don't, I don't want to talk about the wrong thing. I want to talk about the right thing. What I tell them is this, the psyche is vast and it has many doors. It's like, it has a lot of doors. So if you come in and talk about your boss being an asshole, you're going to, we're going to learn a tool and that tool, so that door goes into the psyche and now you have that tool and you can use it with everyone. Mm. It heals everything. And then if you want to talk about how, you know, a client wants to talk about their kid being bullied at school or something like that, we walk in that door and then those tools, and then there might be some healing in them because maybe they were bullied too or what. And so it, so how do we heal? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do to heal. You want to read a book, read a book. You want to go to a meeting, go to a meeting. You want to go to therapy, go to therapy. You want to do, you want to follow some, um, you know, mental health people on TikTok or, or uh, Instagram, do that. Like, and so what I always say is you follow the thread. So I've mentioned a few books. You've mentioned a few books on this podcast. Somebody's going to hear this and they're going to be like, Ooh, that book sounds interesting. And I'll say, follow the thread. Mm -hmm. So you follow the thread and you get that book and then you read that book and then you learn something else. And then you follow the thread again to the new thing or the, um, the other book, or, you know, you just follow the thread to the new person that says the thing that you needed to hear. And, and you just keep going and keep going and you never stop. And, the consequences for me of living that life are truly magical, like beyond, beyond. I'm, I want to cry. It's so great. Yeah. It's so great. It doesn't mean I'm happy all the time and it doesn't mean right. I'm not a bitch and it doesn't mean I'm not a nightmare um, or, or annoying or I don't go into my trauma responses, but it does mean it's magical still. <laughs> I believe you. And I, I wholeheartedly back that message. Thank you so much for giving us your time. I am for sure going to have you back on. Elizabeth's books are going to be in the show notes, links to those, as well as her social media and her website. Everyone, please go message her on Instagram and tell her how much you loved this show or tag her as you share this podcast episode. And remember everyone, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. 
Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I hope you truly loved this conversation that I had with Elizabeth. And if you are someone who would like more support in your life, I encourage you to check out our private coaching. You can do the easy way and go to andreaowen.com slash apply, and you'll answer some questions. And then my team will be in touch letting you know what the next step is. And that's probably putting you together with the possible right coach for you. It might be me or it might be one of my lead coaches, Sabrina or Liz. We all specialize in something slightly different. So if you're interested, again, head on over to andreaowen.com slash apply. 